Welcome back to Mending Moments Podcast. With this episode, I had the honor of interviewing two saints of God, Nick and Mae Martin. And even throughout this whole interview and thinking about this intro, uh, I had two verses come to my mind that are very fitting to this, this interview that was done. Psalms 34, 18 and 19. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. In this interview coming up, you're going to hear the testimonies of, like I mentioned earlier, two saints of God that have made a point to live a godly life and a godly marriage and, and to follow everything as, as close as they can, as close as humanly possible uh, to live in a good Christian life. And even then, you know, there's still storms that come up, battles. There's still moments where, where you feel alone, where you feel vulnerable. Uh, again, with this podcast, please uh, share with people that are going through something right now and, and that are facing issues that are real and true. And if it matters to us, if, if it says here in Psalms, he's near to the brokenhearted. So if someone's going through a trial and they have a broken heart, God is right there next to them, waiting for them to cry out on him. Again, thank you all for listening. Please share this with somebody that you, you know it would help. God bless. All right, so let's go ahead and start off with your testimonies. Would you mind sharing, Nick? When I was a 10-year-old boy, the Lord convicted me when my best friend was in the altar. And I finally give in three days later. After Aunt Mildred reached up, tapped me on the shoulder. Tell me it's time to go ahead. Why don't you go on? The Lord saved me that night. That's just over 60 years ago. And it's as fresh now as it was then. And I feel it stronger. It's gotten better. Better every day. You want to share your testimony this guy? Yes. Um, music has always been very important to me. And um, I had been lost for a while, uh, or I had been wanting to get saved for a while. I hadn't been lost, but uh, my parents took me to a nearby church where they was having a revival. And I don't remember anything that was preached, don't remember anything about who was there until they were leading the song at the end of, to give the invitation. And this man that I knew got up and led, um, almost persuaded. And I was fine when the song started. And by the end of the song, I was as lost as I ever got. And I didn't let anybody know, I didn't think, that uh, I had to realize that I was under conviction. And it was over a year later um, that I actually got saved. And it was um, Monday of our revival had just started. And I had just heard that my best friend had been saved at the revival at her church. And I thought, oh, I really am the only one that hadn't got it, you know, because I was um, sixth grade. and No, seventh grade. Um, I was getting older, you know, 13, I guess, or whatever. And um, the, I, no, looking back, I know that that church was praying for me. Um, but conviction really got heavy and 
we went Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Monday morning, it was day and night service, and we went Monday morning, and I got home that afternoon, and I was in my bedroom uh, when I actually got saved. But I had, in the year that I was lost, I had tried to get saved many times. Um, I had read <clears throat> that you're supposed to go in your closet to pray. I had, we lived in a very small trailer and I had crawled up in the closets of the trailer, which is a very tight space. And I tried that. I tried the closets at my grandmother's house. You know, I, I've tried lots of things I thought to get saved. But the day I actually got saved, I was kneeling beside my bed. And I just told God, I said, I, I've done everything I know to do. I, I can't do it. And the moment that that realization hit me that I couldn't do it, God saved me immediately. And that, that weight that I had carried for so long was just gone. But nobody that knows me now would believe this, but I was very shy then. And uh, I didn't tell anybody. And so the devil, of course, said, well, nobody's going to believe you. You were by yourself. Who's going to know that, you know? So I went to church that night, and then the next day at church, my Sunday school teacher started towards me. And when she did, I hit the altar. And after I let everybody else pray till they felt better, <laughs> and they said, what happened to you? And I said, I got saved. Um, and my parents didn't even know till a couple of years later that I was not actually saved at church that morning that I'd gotten saved the day before. And the devil really beat me up about that for a long time. Um, and he also beat me up because at the end of that summer, we moved up here to where we are now. And so I was in a brand new church and I didn't know anybody. And, you know, I, I was even more shy then. And so for a long, long time, I didn't testify. And the first time I ever testified, um, things began to change for the better because I began to use what I had and grow and learn and um, and that would be something that I would encourage people to do you know if, if you think you don't have a, a wow story in in salvation every salvation is a wow story you know that if you share it it'll help somebody so how did y'all how did y'all meet in uh, late 60s Marty Bearden was called Chess T. He was pastored Yellow Creek. Both churches were two Sundays a month. So they was having a revival up at uh, Yellow Creek. Summer revival in Al Alden, Arbor. In the Arbor. And I went and visited and being a member and stuff. Uh, at, Pastor there at the church, we went. That's what I remember at the end. He did too. And uh, they, uh, we went to back him and support him. And uh, her and her sister, who never says anything, come out to the car to see us. Miss May never said a word. I her was in awe. All the talking. In all, I was. <laughs> so, that was that was the first beginning of it. The main thing is we met in church. That's the important part. 
So from there, what was you know, from from that point to it was um three kids, four kids, three kids, three. three kids. So so what was that process like? I'm sure every day wasn't a rose garden. Um, so leading up to the marriage, what what kind of you know what was that process like? What would you like to share about that? The hardest part of that was that Nick got an answer from God about who he should marry before I got one. And that was very hard because he had to be very patient. Um, and it was, what, six or eight months? Over a year. Oh, it was over a year <laughs> before I was sure. Mm -hmm. And so we broke up at one point for that during that period for, I don't know, a few weeks. Um, very long few weeks. But, um, you know, I needed to be as sure as he was. And um, he got his answer a long time before I did. So it was very hard. But we knew that he needed to be the one to put us together, not us putting us together. Yeah. So that was very important. Um, and I was still in college. And um, the night that we got engaged, I told my dad and he and I said but now I'm not we're not gonna get married till I get out of college and he said yeah right <laughs> <laughs> yeah we didn't wait that long <laughs> we didn't wait another year no we got married that summer but and the, but then I finished school and um went on further in college and actually was working I had worked a year uh no two years I had worked two years I taught two years um, before we had children. Okay. So what was that, that part of life? You know, we go through phases in life. So the family phase, I'm sure it was chaotic. Three uh, children. Yeah, three children under five. Oh, Lord, okay, yeah. Yeah, it was very chaotic. Um, but what a, how God filled in those, those spaces that we needed. Um, you know, parents go through, even today, a very hard thing about, you know, well, we've got to both work. And we were in that predicament, you know, he didn't make enough for us to live on and have children on. And um, my grandmother was living with my parents and my mother was still teaching. <clears throat> and so while after they, my parents had found out we were pregnant, daddy comes up with this idea and he said, why don't you come here and stay with your grandmother? And he said, uh, we'll pay you minimum wage and pay into Social Security for you, and we'll claim your grandmother on our income tax, and we'll keep as, money that, as much of that money in the family as we can. <laughs> so I worked for minimum wage, but I was able to bring all three kids to this house where we're living now and stay with my grandmother and keep her. All three of my kids learned to walk, pulling up to her walker, you know, uh, God just worked all that out so that I could stay at home with my kids and, you know, we had enough to live on. Uh, we weren't living high on the hog, but, we, you know, he, yeah. he made it, he made a way. Yeah. Um, and we lost a child between um, the first one and the second one. And that was tough. Lost it at Christmas. Um, but, you know, I, God brought me to a place where I understood that he did answer my prayer for that child because all I ever asked for was that the child would be healthy. And I think that he knew that that one wasn't going to be. Yeah. 
So I know, like, with the... Uh, anything you want to share, Nick, on, on the the chaos of life <laughs> at that stage? Well, with all the things we went through with the kids, especially with them uh, born, they, got, they kept coming faster and faster if we'd have been, had another one. We wouldn't have got to the hospital in time. <laughs> yeah, and the toughest time of any of all that that I had was with uh, when Glenn was born. Back then, you didn't go in with your wife. Back there, stayed in the room or delivery room, whatever y'all call the area, but they stayed at. And they especially went in the delivery room. So there's, all the men waited out in the waiting room outside all day. And uh, we had things going on and they wouldn't let me come back. They done fussed at me once because and I was trying to do something else and was not the person they was looking for, but I got fussed at. <laughs> and, uh, and then this other boy would run up down the hallway screaming about his dead, ba uh, dead baby. Baby died at birth. He's doing all that, and here I'm there. I'm the only one there. Now the rest of the family, we, we, we was uh, awake yet. We didn't tell none of them to let them, they didn't have time to get up. Yeah. But uh, that was a tough time when I'm there all alone. At least I thought. Yeah. yeah. But I wasn't. Yeah. I made it through, so and everything turned out fine. Yeah. And now you've got eight, seven, seven, seven grandkids. Seven grandkids. Seven so, so I know the point of this podcast is just sharing moments in life where we're. You know, it was tough. It was hard, and, and God saw you through. Um, we all face battles, big and small, when we compare them to each other. But if they're important to us, they're important to God. So what is it y'all would like to share about uh, in, in, in life? What is it y'all would like to talk about to kind of share y'all's experience? Well, I'd say one of the things is that we've kept for over 48 years now is we agreed never to have a fight. And we never had a fight. And say we don't disagree on something, but we stop and talk about it. And the best advice I can give somebody that they're mad at their spouse and they want to fuss at them and do all that, Look at them as if they're looking at Jesus. Look at my square face at Jesus. How mad can you get? Yeah. Well, what can you say at that point now? That he hadn't already had to deal with is worse than anything you could not put up with. No. So, but it's just a, and it's that. <coughs> Lord puts things together. And, uh, we were also blessed with having parents that didn't fight in front of us. That's, that's another thing. You disagree, you disagree with the, the kids. You make decisions with your children of how you're going to handle them, how you're going to raise them, and how you're going to do all that before they get here. You get that result. <coughs> that makes it easier for you to go on and deal with that kind of stuff. And we never undermined each other in dealing with the kids. 
you know, whatever. It was always, you know, if they came to one of us and said, can I do such and such? And it was, you know, have you asked your mom or have you asked your daddy? And so we never allowed them to play one against the other. You know, uh, it was always a united front. Then we might talk about it later and say, I don't think we should have done it that way or whatever. But um, that was a very united front. And then, you know, after the kids left home, um, wasn't two <coughs> years before our parents were getting older. And um, that's a tough time in life, you know, as you're watching your parents get older and unable to do and, you know, things start happening. And, you know, my father was in a nursing home for seven years. And I guess one of the hardest things I ever did was to leave him at the nursing home that first night. He'd been in the hospital for two or three weeks and he had not been alone. I was either there or I had somebody else, I had hired somebody to be with him. And when I got him to the nursing home and they wouldn't allow me to stay. And uh, I think that was the hardest thing I ever had to do was to leave him and not stay with him. Um, but in all the years that he was there, um, I, I went a lot, but that took time away from Nick for me to be down there dealing with my dad. And he never once complained. Um, he said, you're doing what you need to do. And then as his parents got in worse shape, there were times when he would have to go and stay, stay several days at a time at his parents. Um, and then sometimes when another sibling was there, uh, something would happen and they'd have to call him anyway and he'd have to go back, you know, and, uh, but I never begrudged him that time because I knew he was doing what he needed to do too. So, um, there were some really tough times. Um, <coughs> we kept mother here at this house until she passed away and, um, you know, it, that's never easy, but you know, and people would ask me as we were going through that, you know, I don't know how you do it. And I said, well, I can tell you how I do it because God's with me. You know, um, he gave me peace and he gave me the strength to do the things that I needed to do. Uh, but that's that's hard, um, you know, seeing your parents decline and, and having to put some of your life on hold to, you know, take care of them and help them and I didn't regret a minute of it, but it's still taxing, you know, it's, it's tough. Um, it's tough to look in the bedroom uh, where they're in the bed at and we'll stand there and watch them and see if they're still breathing. Because you know they're going to uh, subject to die at any time and you look in there and see, are you still breathing? Are you still alive? Yeah. Because you don't want to go in, go in there and find out. It's tough times, but it's one thing that makes a difference when you're doing things like that and doing tough times is to have a spouse that supports. No matter what, you, what kind of trouble you get into, they support you. Our procedure that we used to do is uh, we come home from work, we both got home, we'd go check with the other one whichever one was home first, and see how things were going their day. If it had a problem that day, that become the problem for the day. We deal with that, but no matter what my problems are. 
and that's why we both did one another. Uh, I try to treat one another as if we were still dating. How do we do that? Yeah. So we decided, oh, I helped so many. See, to me, is what happened to so many marriages, <coughs> and they fail. Is they expect things that they should never be expected. Because, oh, you're, you're, you're my husband or you're my wife or whatever. You're supposed to do this, this, and this. Don't expect things that's not necessarily supposed to be there. If it's supposed to be there and you follow God or you're supposed to follow God, it'll come. And there's a lot of uh, couples that do fuss and fight their whole life. And lived 60, 70 years worth of marriage doing that. So I'm not going to tell you that's the wrong thing to do. It just wasn't the right thing for us. Yeah. Look deep down to see if it's the right thing for you. Because your mom and daddy did, uh, did it. Does it mean that you're supposed to do it? So we've talked about having... Y'all... Trying to have a, a Christ-centered marriage in a world where you had three kids. Uh, well, first, y'all graduated college, started working. I'm sure being a young married couple is not easy. Right. It's, we were broke like all, most <laughs> young married couples. Yeah. <laughs> three children. Um, they're growing up. Uh, aging parents. All this is taxing on any relationship, any marriage. Uh, but again, y'all made a dedication for a Christ-centered marriage. So let's throw another stress on there. So, Nick, do you want to tell us the process of how you knew to become a deacon? Because being the head of the household, taking care of aging parents, children, grandkids, now you got to, you know, you're one of the leaders at the church and then you're just being pulled in a million different directions. Why not add another one? So, would you mind sharing that process? Well, with us? back up before he was the deacon at Chester T. He had huge responsibilities at Yellow Creek. Okay. They yeah. were building a new church. Yeah. And he was the chairman of the trustees. Really? Okay. So, yeah, we'll, we'll start there. Well, there's a lot, a lot of things. You, you, you have to go back 30, 50 years to start with. When uh, I joined the Yellow Creek, I joined there because the Lord told me that he had a job for me there. Little did I know what the job was. It might have several years before we done anything. We become the youth teachers, eventually the youth leaders in the church. Poor substitute for the ones that, ones that we had, but we tried. And we taught the same group of, what we call kids, some of them's only 10 or 12 years younger than we was. But, uh, same same group of people at the time they were teenagers in high school till they had teenagers almost uh, a lot of them had kids but they were for 21 years wow same same group at one point we had over a dozen uh, preachers over a dozen preachers, preachers in, the preacher in that group wow 
So, and they were God called. They were not made Nick called. Yeah. Name a few you need. Shane Wee Hunt. Uh, what was the other ones you had? Um, Lynn Lynn. Lynn Lynn. Yeah. Chris Gilbert. Not, not the Chris Gilbert you know. Yeah, a different yeah. one. Um, Rex Fuller. Roger Stover. Oh, gosh. Um, Shane Howell. High caliber men. They had, they had good youth teachers. Uh, what's his name? Joyce. Oh, uh, Jackson. Yeah. Stephen Jackson. Stephen Jackson. Okay. Yeah. Oh, but we don't mean to leave anybody out, but yeah, there, yeah. there was a lot. There was a lot. There was 12 of them. Yeah. Yeah. It was over 12 of them. Oh, what's his name? David Sneaker there for a while. He just gave up Annie Alec. Oh, Matt Pruitt. Yeah, Pruitt. He told his preacher column all over there. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, so a lot. Yeah. A lot. We had, yeah. we had a lot. <clears throat> so what so how did how did what was the transition after youth director? Well we got to that we got to that and we told uh, the uh, kids it was time for us to Move on. It's time for them to step out and start being yeah. teachers. Leaders should move up in the classes and not sit down here and get stale in this class. It's time to move up. Show the ones below you that you move up. You don't stay put just like you do in school. You have to go to the next level. Mm -hmm. And uh, had that going on. And so we was into a lot of classes for several years here and there doing different stuff we'd visit once in a while just the heck of it you come on there in 08 uh, lord said it's time to start the job's done that was after the church was finished yeah, the church was well, well, the, the, the year that the church was being built at yellow creek there was a trustee meeting every week. Six years. Wow. Yeah, trustee years. meeting every, every Tuesday night for six years. Yep. I, think, I think it was six years. From the time that we voted to do something until we got in the three or four months after we got into the new church. Wow. And then God said, your job is done. Yeah, I said my, I said my, my work that he had me there to do was done, but he wanted me to go around and back up the preachers. He said different places to go, go, go visit. So. so I gave up the choir because I was going to go where he went. Yeah. And so my parents were no longer able to attend church by that time. Yeah. And his mom was still able to go. So that's how we started coming to get Chester T more. Yeah. None of the kids were there yeah. anymore. But yeah, that that guy we went around visiting. A lot of the visiting we got to do was for services where they didn't have nothing but a Sunday morning service. So you couldn't go visit unless you left mm -hmm. church. So but it's it was good. It was uh, an education. 
learned a lot of things on all that. As far as... So telling the story of the morning we joined Chester T. Well, I'll look at that in a minute. <laughs> to get to <laughs> ask you a question, when did I know I was going to be a deacon at Chester T? I knew it at least 10 years before I come there and join. Wow. I knew if I ever, Lord ever let me go back to Chester T, I'd be a deacon down there. Mm. You know, I didn't, didn't worry about that. That didn't hold me from coming back. Yeah. But it finally come to the point though. I, my job was done when checking on the preachers all the time. You know, the preachers all the time because they get most of them got big enough and old enough to have a lot of friends out there, a lot of people they knew support them. Yeah. And I sat her sat me down one night and told her, I said, it's, it's time for me to get about chest tea. She just didn't want it. Didn't want to go. She said she said she'd go wherever I had to go, where the Lord said I'd be. So we started that next Sunday going to going there. Went to Sunsco service. And uh, we did, we agreed. I told her I said come join when they Open the doors of the church at an unscheduled time. So it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a conference, it wouldn't be a revival meeting, it wouldn't be anything special to be just out, out of the blue. Mm -hmm. So the second Sunday that we went went there, we sat in middle ways at the church and David Skinner got up first. He says, he says, well, I said, I'm tired of fighting the Lord. So he told me it's time to open the doors to church. So we're going to open the doors to church. And so when they started singing, we got up and went up there in the front. And then David told the story about that, about his argument about that. You know how David, <laughs> his argument was on that. He, told, he said, I told the Lord, he said, there was nobody here to join today. He said, yeah, they are. And he argued with him. And he finally, Tom said, he looked back there and there sat Snick. He knew it. He knew that it was time. Yeah. And that's what helped her on that, to know that that was what we were supposed to be. Yeah. So what was the process like? You said you knew a decade earlier he's going to be a deacon. So what was, was it just a, you know, you go talk to him, hey, I need to be a deacon. They come talk oh, to you. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, oh, in, in the other two episodes, we talked to preachers. We talked about how they knew they got their calling in life. So, well, I, 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 I knew that the, the Lord impressed on to me that that's what He was going to do. He was yeah. going to have me to be a deacon yeah. down there. And I wondered a lot of times why I waited so long to get me back down there. And wait till after daddy died because I, I come back to the church uh, about six weeks after daddy died at Joint. Yeah. And I wondered on that because I know daddy would have enjoyed being there for that purpose. Yeah. I've come to the conclusion that that's the way the Lord wanted it handled because he didn't want it said that I was, 
I was called and put up there because of Hammond Martin. Yeah. So, and that's one of the reasons I knew that I'd be up there because Daddy done said, if you that just stay with that hedge you ticket. So I guess they. Uh, I was agreed by a couple of other elder deacons that I grew up around at that church. <laughs> Tell them the story of the of the Bible after the funeral. Your daddy's Bible about Benny handing it to you. Oh, Benny being the oldest—that's where most things like that go to. And. He, he, he gave it to me. Of course, I haven't used it like I should have, but I got it. And that was, it was after that that we moved to the front pew. Yeah. Because yeah. that's where his dad always sat. Mm -hmm. So after that, he felt like that's where we should be. Wow. Which is still where uh, we sit. I did a little sit up on the front. I tried to get out of that. I said, well, I'll move up there after that or ordain me while that come and went. <laughs> Still didn't move. And uh, Melissa's brother family started coming. Set on the same base, we just run out of room. And that's why I told him he was worried about Thursday. Get running us out, and I told him. I told him then, I said, no, and I told him the story. I said, I've been supposed to move up here for a long time, but the Lord had to run me out of that hole, so he used to use the tool when I'd be out of there. There you go. I'm out of my comfort zone. Yeah. yeah. So I, I tell you, they came, the deacon board came to you and approached you and yeah. set you aside and then had the ordination. Mm -hmm. And they didn't run you off, so you're still, you're still here. So. Yeah. So how has, with being the deacon, you, you have extra pressure, extra stresses in your life that you've taken on, you know, voluntarily God led. Everyone with a call knows it's, it's, you can't really put it into words, but you gotta do it. So from the wife side of things, how has that impacted you and in, in, in your life? Um, it's maybe pray more. Um, because I worry, you know. Um, if a pastor leaves, I know, well, I don't know, but I can only imagine the burden that falls on the deacon board, yeah. you know. Um, and, you know, I know that that's such a tough time for them. And anytime there's controversy, anytime there's, you know, any kind of ripple effect stuff going on at the church, I know that that hits our deacons so much harder because they, they feel the responsibility of that office. Mm -hmm. And so as a deacon's wife, I try to make sure that I conduct myself the way a deacon's wife is supposed to. There are outlines for that. Um, and I wouldn't want to ever do anything that would um, bring disparagement on Nick uh, or on, on God. I, you know, so I try to uh, be an example to you know, of what I'm supposed to be as a Christian woman. But um, it just adds to, you know, my concern for him and, and my wanting to support him better um, because I, I know 
I try to understand what the load would be like. I don't know what it's like, but I can imagine, you know, how much more of a load that is. Are there any other areas or any other stories you'd like to share about the moments in your life? God has blessed us so very, very much, but it has not been um, always the easiest path. Um, there's a saying that you'll read on Facebook quite often that says um, the hardest thing about having, having children is seeing them go through things that you can't help them with. Um, we've seen that in uh, all of our children at different times. And uh, there is nothing more humbling than seeing your child struggle and you can't fix it. But God has done miraculous things in all of our children's lives. And we are so, so very grateful for where he has brought each of them to at this point. Um, he's blessed us with seven healthy grandchildren. Six have testimonies, and the other one's just over five. Yeah. Um, He'll soon be five, and he's over five and a half, which is, you know, I can hear Dwayne Riles saying, I was five and a half sitting in my mother's lap. But yeah. um, in God's timing, he will save him too. But. So what uh, what advice, I guess the, the thing that's kind of come up in this podcast is a, a Christ-centered marriage, a godly marriage, which is unfortunately rare these days. Um, and a lot of men and women both are trying to find advice, guidance on how how to get there. There, there. I've seen me being in that world of dating, <laughs> marriage, and stuff. You see a resurgence of it. We're living in a society that they can't tell you who a woman is, what's a woman, what's a man, and so we're seeing a resurgence on the other side of well, let's get back to the basics. Mm -hmm. If we can't go that far, let's get back to the basics. And yeah. So, what advice would you give a young person? that's not dating somebody or somebody that is, you know, looking for that helpmate yeah. in life, that, that God-ordained helpmate? Well, what? it's something that they need to be praying about uh, before they ever get into the dating part, um, that God would send them the spouse that they need. And that's what we pray for our children. That's what we're now praying for our grandchildren. I'm already praying for the husbands and the wives of my seven grandchildren. You know, that God will keep them the godly people that they need to be to, you know, if, if marriage is what God has planned for our grandchildren. Um, but some people look for a mate in all the wrong places. Church is a really good place to meet your spouse. <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, trusting in his leadership is really important. Um, and I... One of the best tools that I've seen, um, and I didn't know it or didn't use it when Luke and I were dating, but um, the 13th chapter of Corinthians, the love chapter is the way it's known. Um, love is patient, love is kind. That's that scripture. If you're dating someone or, you know, thinking about dating someone or getting serious with someone, put their name in place of love. Love is kind, love is patient. You know, Ralph is kind, Ralph is patient. 
if you can't honestly say that that person does those things, you probably need to look some more. You know, that would that would be one of the things that I would say. Well, yeah, that's the looking for them in the right places has a lot to do with it. One of the sayings that used to go around as I was growing up is uh, don't date someone that you wouldn't be mar uh, marriage uh, quality. quality. Yeah. You wouldn't want to bring home say mom and dad. Mm -hmm. So uh, in words, I'll operate in that thing. But as you say it, you, you talk and you pray and be patient. I'm, I, I'm one of these, just like everybody else, I'm one of these, I'll be patient as I can be, as Terry. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, the uh, Lord works with it. it didn't, didn't know it. I was dating a girl on a regular basis when we met. But uh, that wasn't where the Lord wanted me. Thank goodness. <laughs> I'm thankful for that every day. They all say about the unanswered prayer sometimes. I'm yeah. thankful for that. <laughs> but my prayer was answered. Said the right one. Yeah. But you, you, you be patient. Let the Lord work it out. Let the Lord deal with it. And get on your hands and knees and talk to the Lord about it. Yeah. But you, you got you got to be patient on that because some people will get in a hurry. And this is what they want, so this is what they feel like the Lord has said. You can't go that route. Yeah. You got to be patient and live with what the Lord wants you to deal with on it and go. Uh, <clears throat> Maybe that was part of why Nick, it took me a year to figure out that he was the one for me after he had already been told by God that I was the one for him. Maybe God was teaching him patience. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, it probably wasn't quite a year on that. I may have been mistaken on that one. Well, it's a long time. A little over a year after I said that is when I asked, asked you to marry me. So, so what advice would y'all give somebody that's <clears throat> hit a rough patch in life? Kind of struggling with something. Pray. There's no answer better than prayer. Yeah. yeah. But get out on your knees and get serious about it. Yeah. And if you hit a rough patch in life and you're having problems and you you want to talk to somebody that's down here on the earth. You need a family that you can talk to. Yeah. That's the reason, a good reason for being in church. There's somebody there. It's like with the uh, group that we talk, uh, especially after we taught them a couple of years, a few years, and then they end up, a lot of them get married, and we got to get back into an older group. We told them our, our, our lesson for the day is somebody's problem. There's somebody in that room 
Because we had 35, 40 people in there a lot of times. Wow. Somebody in that room probably had to answer or has been through something similar to it mm -hmm. to help get you through it. And mm -hmm. lo and behold, that's the way the Lord worked it. Yeah, lots of times it was. Not ever was. Somebody had problems. Somebody mm -hmm. knew how to get the answer. And it, yeah. it might be such a real simple problem. It might not be nothing tough. Yeah. Yeah. But the church family is as important as putting this is Nick's opinion. Church family is as important as your blood family. Because our church family is from the same drop of blood. Our blood family may have uh, some bad genes in it, but that drop had none. That's right. I think sometimes, too, people, when hard times come, they think, you know, oh, I'm the only one. You know, and if you'll pick up the scripture and start reading about some of the, you know, patriarchs in the Bible, um, they didn't have it easy. Oh my goodness. You know, you don't have to read but a few pages to find out that there was nothing easy about their walk either. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that, that can help too. And you go back to, we talked about patience a while ago. If you really want to understand patience and learn about patience, Go back and read the book of Job. Don't just listen to the story. Yeah. Because Job was a very impatient person. Even with God, he was impatient. Yeah. But he did turn against God. Yeah. The saying that patience like Job, I'd like to have better patience than that. Yeah. He whined a lot. <laughs> yeah. He was whining and moaning all the time. I'd love to not be one of them that whined and moaned. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's the battle with it. Be patient. Yeah. I actually heard a kind of a, a little bit of a, a guy expound upon Job, just the story of it, saying that they said he was perfect and just. He said, well, that was when you compared him to other men. He said, but his answering the question was Job perfect, really. Mm -hmm. He said, when you compare him to other men, he was considered perfect and just. Mm -hmm. He said, but if you read further, after God shows him, he called it God's resume, mm -hmm. where he tells Job, I made that horse. Can you can you make that? Mm -hmm. I told the waters where to stop. Can you do that? Right. Uh, Job said, I have heard of you. This is a, I don't know word for word. Right. Now I've seen you, and I despise myself. Mm -hmm. That's when he said, so he wasn't perfect. Yeah, he was arrogant. He wasn't perfect compared to God. Nobody is. But right, right. So, well, all right. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share before we close in prayer? I don't know if any of this has helped anybody else or not, but, um, you know, I pray that it will. I think it that will. Someday that, you know, somebody will listen to it and think, oh, you know. A lot, a lot, a lot of the lessons we've, we've learned, we've learned by... Uh, Trial and error. Yeah. yeah. As Daddy says, the school of hard knocks. Yeah, that's right. You go through. You either go through the school of hard knocks, or you can get yourself educated. And educated is by studying the Bible, being in church where things are going on, 
and listening to the people that has experiences in things. Used to say, which is not a bad idea, but I'm in that end of it now. But used to say, listen to your elders. <laughs> yeah, I'm one of the elders now, but I'm still not one of the smart people. Right, right. No, I don't know about that. No, no, no. I feel that the Lord' job He gave me is to help people live a godly life in this rugged world. Because I've been, I've been in places and been had temptations that've been easy to give into, but God was there, yeah. reminded me this is not what you're to do. Yeah. Let's close out in a word of prayer. Would you mind leading us in prayer, Nick? Dear Lord, we thank you here once again today, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be here around this, Lord. And Lord, we ask, Lord, that this will help some one person, Lord, that it's all worth it, Lord. Lord, we ask you, Lord, to walk with us, Lord, as we walk throughout this place, Lord, that we'll walk and live that life that you'd have us to live, Lord. Lord, we ask you to forgive, forgive us, Lord, for failing to live that life, Lord, as you should have, Lord. And Lord, with all the problems, Lord, that we may think that we have, Lord, Lord, we know that there's someone else out there that needs your help more than me, Lord. But Lord, I'll take the help whenever you get it, Lord. But don't let someone that's in the worst need, Lord, have more than me. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.